Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. Hello, I'm Diane Hartshorn. We want to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh my God, I can't. Well, it's going to be what? Four days. I cannot believe it's Christmas. It's like what happened to Valentine's Day? <laughs> I know this last year truly has flown by. Like yes. we have been busy, both of us, either together with stuff with the podcast, but also like our own individual separate things have kept us both like just going, going, going. It ha- so, like- it really has been a non nonstop for both of us. I mean, mm-hmm. e- I mean, starting clear back and at least for us together, starting in June with the AGS conference, which was fabulous, mm-hmm. but it. Yeah, it has been nonstop. And that's and that's not even counting the podcast. I know. Like the podcast is just a little bitty part of everything we do. But it's been it's been a great year. It's just been busy and I feel like year. we just had Christmas, but again, here we are. But that's okay. And this year, since the pandemic, you know, things have progressively increased every year, mm-hmm. you know, since 2020. Um, this year I realized by the time we are done, we're that by the time we reach Christmas day. And then of course there's technically the 12 days of Christmas after that. But, um, by the time we reach Christmas day, I will have attended this year, I think four or five Christmas celebrations, which is wow. the most I've done in a long time. Which is nice. Yes. I mean, so I still have busy, one coming but, up. Yeah. yeah. I have one coming up. My my very good friend Joy is hosting her second annual Christmas tea. So we get dressed up and we have tea and goodies. And yes, and she it's a ladies only event. It's great. We had so much fun with it last year. So she's doing it again this year. That sounds like so much fun. I mean, I'll, there was like four of us that do the that work have worked all summer at the cemetery. And it's like, let's go to let's go to tea. And of course, some are like, I'm not wearing a hat. And another one's like, can I wear a cowboy hat? And I'm like, <laughs> I have hats. You guys will wear hats. I have fancy hats. And then, oh, I, you know. So apparently there may be two of us. That well, that still sounds dress fun. for tea. We won't be wearing hats, but we will be dressed up in our Christmas best and enjoying the celebrations she her christmas decorations are beautiful every year she likes victorian slightly Mm. before victorian so it's just her house is gorgeous so it's always fun to go and hang out there so i'm looking forward to that and that sounds absolutely lovely and just having a, a moment well and her idea for it last year was really um you know, we both have older daughters, teenage daughters and stuff. So it was a way to let the girls kind of do their thing. And they were actually in another room, but they had their own tea table and teapots and everything. And then all the moms. And it was sort of our kind of relax a little bit as the moms, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we are the ones who typically get everything ready for Christmas and do all the other stuff. And so this was a moment for us to just take a breath, have some nice conversation, enjoy the tea, enjoy the goodies and not feel rushed like we typically do the rest of the month so right oh that sounds I mean that that sounds like a perfect Christmas present for yourself I love it 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 will be wonderful so because Christmas is in just a few days by the time this airs 
We are today's episode and actually next week episode does involve Christmas too. So the next two episodes will involve Christmas, but that's okay. Uh, We begin today's episode with a visit to historic Mount Olivet Cemetery in Detroit, Michigan. The cemetery itself was founded in 1888 and consists of 320 acres of carefully tended lawns, gardens, and an array of beautiful sculptures and monuments. According to their website, Mount Olivet is an inspirational place in the truest sense of a traditional cemetery. Dozens of private family mausoleums can be seen throughout the grounds, interspersed with towering oaks and maples. Many of them honor multiple generations of Detroit area families from Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb counties. Visitors to Mount Olivet will also see an impressive assortment of individual memorials erected from the 19th century through the present day. Buried throughout the cemetery are congressmen, major league baseball players, as well as one member of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League All-Star Team. Think of A League of Your Own. Mm, One of my favorite movies. I do too. Race car drivers, artists, musicians, and mobsters. But today we are interested in the grave of one gentleman in particular. A man whose life had humble beginnings that stayed with him even after he made his fortune. His grave and that of his wife are both marked by simple, unadorned granite markers that simply state their names, the year they were born, and the year they died. There are no flowers, vines, or other ornamentation carved upon the stones. Nothing to indicate that at the end of their lives, they lived in comfort and style. Today, we will learn about the life of James J. Brady. I did try to find out what the J stood for, but I never could figure it out. So we'll just say James J. James J. Brady was born to Francis J. Brady and his wife, Isabella Dunn Brady, on May 3rd, 1878, in a section of Detroit, Michigan, known as Corktown. Both Francis and Isabella were of Irish descent, though it was their parents who immigrated from Ireland, so that Francis was born in Canada and Isabella in New York. Francis and Isabella were married in either 1874 or 1875, and together they would have six, and actually that might be seven, children. As I told Diane before we started this, I went down a few rabbit holes when I was going through census records and stuff to get all this information. James was right in the middle as baby number three. The family was Catholic and Francis worked for many years as a gardener. Sadly, Isabella died on January 19, 1885, about three months after the birth of her youngest child. Now, whether her death was related to the birth of the baby or something else, I don't know. Not long after her death, young James, who was just six years old, ran away from home. Francis remarried in 1897. His new wife's name was Mary Jane. The 1900 census lists four additional children to that couple. Judging by the ages of the children, we can assume that this was a second marriage for Mary Jane as well. That census also lists Francis's occupation as saloon keeper. James would have been 19 years old when his father remarried. While James's two older siblings were living in their father's house in 1900, it seems James had never returned. He spent his childhood working whatever odd jobs he could find. This included selling newspapers as a newsboy or newsie. 
He spent much of his young life cold and hungry on the streets of Detroit. However, he was a determined boy who was not afraid to learn and work hard, and as he grew older, he began to make a better life for himself. At the age of 19, the 1900 census lists him as a boarder in a boarding house, and he was working as a timekeeper for the railroad. According to historicdetroit.org, he would rise through the ranks to become a plant manager for automaker Ransom E. Olds and also serve as a tax collector for the IRS. He was also a Detroit Water Commissioner. And I didn't mention it anywhere in the script, but on the 1920 census, his occupation is listed as banker. So Hmm. he went from living on the streets and a very hard scrabble life to being very comfortable by the time he was fully grown. Through all his years of hardship, James managed to stay honest and remain out of trouble. He could have very easily fallen into a life of crime as so many of his peers did. By 1903, he had fallen in love with a young woman named May Kreiss. May's grandparents on both sides had immigrated to America from Germany. Her father, Charles, was a working man who built cast iron stoves for most of his life. Even though James was of Irish descent, it seems Charles and his wife, Anna, were impressed with the kind young man who was not afraid of hard work and they soon gave their blessing for James and May to marry. The couple wed on June 10th, 1903. James was 25 and May was 21. The couple would soon start a family that included one son, their oldest, and two daughters. By 1914, James was financially successful and able to provide a comfortable life for his wife, children, and in-laws. However, He never forgot his humble beginnings and just how hard he had worked to get where he was. One day, while reading the Detroit News, a political cartoon captured James's eye. The illustration was of a well-to-do man dressed in business attire, a warm overcoat with a fur collar, and a bowler hat upon his head. In one arm, he carries a basket full of food and an additional package. With his other hand, he is holding the hand of a young boy dressed in ragged clothing. The boy wears a driver's cap on his head and has a stack of newspapers tucked beneath his arm. The caption under the illustration read, The Boy He Used to Be. The cartoon was drawn by local cartoonist Bert Thomas. The illustration immediately reminded James Brady of the little boy he once had been, selling papers for a penny apiece for 10 to 12 hours a day so he could earn enough to keep himself fed. Think about this. He started doing that at six years old. I know. I know. It just makes you wonder why he left home and how he survived, really, that young. That's incredible. This cartoon sparked an idea that James put into action. As one of Detroit's wealthiest men, he now had friends of influence across the city. One of those friends was E.J. Pip, the managing editor at the Detroit News, which was the paper where he saw the uh, cartoon. James was desperate to do something to help the poor children of Detroit. Pip suggested that James reach out to the Detroit Newsboys Association, a group of successful businessmen who had once been newspaper boys. 
He suggested that the men once again take up the job of selling papers on the street corners, but this time the money would be used to help those in need, saying there should be no kitty without a Christmas. The men readily agreed, and in December of 1914, 75 former newsboys turned successful businessmen got to work. They had set a goal to raise $400, but ended up raising $2,275. Wow. I know. It was amazing. It was enough money to buy food, clothing, and toys for more than 3,000 children that Christmas. This was the beginning of the old Newsboys Goodfellows Fund. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. From that time on, the old Newsboys Goodfellows Fund became an annual tradition with James Brady leading the charge. On November 11, 1923, an article appeared in the Detroit News announcing the 10-year anniversary of the fund. The organization had set a goal of $125,000 if the children of the tenements, the youngsters of the ill, afflicted and unfortunate, are to see evidence of the Santa Claus spirit of good fellowship always dominant at that time. The article ends with a quote from James Brady saying, Creed, race, and nationality have no part in the work of the old newsboys. It is conducted under the auspices of the three Detroit newspapers and is meant to cover every forlorn child in the city. And it actually goes on, I kind of cut it off, but he actually went on to assure people that if they bought the papers, and and they would actually jack up the price of the papers on purpose for this event. Um, But he was saying none of the money went to any of these businessmen that were running this organization. They were completely all volunteers, and all of the money went towards the children. So that was part of what he was trying to get across to people. James J. Brady had a big heart and one that he worked hard over the years. He was just 47 years old when he suffered a heart attack and died on June 15, 1925. A part of his obituary read, a man on whom fortune had smiled in gratitude, it seemed, for his kind heart and gentle thoughts. His funeral procession was guided by 150 honorary pallbearers, all members of the Old Newsboys Goodfellows organization. The fireman's band played taps at his graveside as his casket was lowered into the ground. On June 28, 1928, the James J. Brady Monument, erected at Central Avenue and Fleming Street in Detroit, was dedicated to the man who had done so much for Detroit's underprivileged children. The base and back of the monument are made of marble. In the center stands a bronze statue of James Brady. A kindly smile graces his lips. Slung diagonally across his shoulders is a bag full of newspapers, and he holds an unrolled paper in his left hand. 
tucked beneath his right arm and covered protectively by his coat, is a little girl in a ragged dress and bare feet clinging to his pocket. Inscribed on the marble base beneath the statue are the words, James J. Brady, Founder, Old Newsboys, Goodfellow Fund. On either side of the monument are plaques of bronze. One reads, because he loved the children of the poor and devoted his life to good works, his friends have caused this monument to be created and erected. The other says, as our tribute to the spirit of charity, this monument is affectionately dedicated to the memory of James J. Brady, founder of the old Newsboys Goodfellows Fund of Detroit. According to historicdetroit.org, the dedication was preceded by a ceremony that lasted more than an hour and was filled with remarks by speaker after speaker extolling his dedication to the community. More than 200 people attended. The monument was accepted on behalf of the city by Mayor John C. Lodge. David A. Brown, former president of the Goodfellows Organization, said of James Brady in a speech, Jim Brady was the richest man in Detroit. His wealth was not measured in material things, giant business organizations, buildings, banks, or money, but in his priceless, incomparable spirit, a spirit of kindliness and charity for one and all, and a spirit that recognized no race, creed, color, or social position. Jim Brady was a living Santa Claus to thousands of poor children of this city, who otherwise probably would not have believed there was a Santa Claus. Oh, we need more Jim Brady's. I know. <laughs> In 2014, Old Newsboy Goodfellows Fund celebrated its 100th anniversary. That year, more than 300 members helped to raise more than a million dollars that still helps underprivileged children in and around Detroit to have a Merry Christmas. Items given to each child include a sweatshirt, sweatpants, socks, underwear, hat, gloves, or mittens, dental kit, an application for a Detroit Public Library card, candy, four age-appropriate books, and four, five games or toys. Girls ages four to nine still receive dolls dressed by volunteers. Today, the sale day is still held and other organizations pitch in. But according to the Detroit News, about 80% of the money is now raised by members sending out personal letters to friends and family. Several families, including James Brady's descendants, are still involved. I'm very glad to know that his descendants have kept the tradition. Yeah, very nice. Current membership of the Old Newsboys Goodfellows Fund includes city dignitaries, judges, members of the police force, as well as some former people who remember what receiving the Goodfellow gifts meant to them when they were growing up. As Newsboys became a thing of the past, the organization dropped the requirement that members need be former Newsboys. The first woman joined in 1975. That is such a sweet, sweet story to know that somebody... Oh, next to the fact that he survived being on the streets at the age of six. And he didn't forget his humble beginnings. And after being what was said to be the richest man in Detroit, how he still continued, I'll say basically to the day he died, mm -hmm. giving back and making sure that 
you know, the kids are kids were taken care of for Christmas. I just, that's just really, really wonderful. Well, and he, like I said, he could have totally. So Detroit had its issues with mobsters. As we said at the beginning, there's mobsters buried in Mount Olivet Cemetery. Uh, there was an especially vicious gang that started to kind of rise to power from like 1910 up through the twenties and thirties, of course, because prohibition and all of that, yeah. when, you know, mobsters were a thing, um, they were called the purple gang. Uh, they were mainly interestingly enough, a Jewish gang, but there were a lot of Irish mobsters too, because like I said, he was born in Corktown, which was a mainly an Irish community. And you have to think that at six years old, he left home for whatever reason. And I'm assuming after his mother died, maybe something happened with his dad. They didn't get along, whatever it was. And he said, I'm out of here. He could have very easily fallen in with a group of boys who were in trouble all the time. He could have been robbing, you know, he could have been getting in fights. He could have all of that, but no, he simply apparently wanted to get away from whatever was wrong at home. He worked all kinds of odd jobs, including like he would run errands, um, for like different businesses or different people. He did the newsboy stuff. That was one of his main jobs and it was enough to keep himself fed. And I think, and I didn't actually research it. I do know that like newsies in New York city, and I'm assuming in Chicago and Detroit and other big cities, um, they had places where the boys could actually live if they didn't have families to live with. Uh, they had to pay so much either a day or a week, depending on what, what, who ran the organization to live there, but it did at least give them a place to sleep at night. There was some food available and it kept them from being, having to be on the street. So I'm kind of assuming that maybe he had a situation like that. I don't know. I didn't actually research that part of his story. Uh, it would be interesting to do a little more research on the actual newsies of Detroit at the time. Yeah. But I'm assuming that he had some kind of some place where he was able to stay as a young boy. Uh, but he just seems like at six years old, even he had that moral compass to do the right thing. Like there's no mention of him ever having gotten in trouble as a juvenile. He just worked really hard and continued to work hard. And I'm assuming probably about the time he was 12 or 13, he knew that he was going to, you know, make himself a success one way or another. And he did. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, considering coming up and being Irish and being poor, I mean, he had a lot of um, challenges that he had to face to, you know, to do so well. So that just says a lot about his character. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, like I said, he didn't turn to crime like he could have. He also didn't let it make him bitter. He could have been very bitter. He could have been a Scrooge. I mean, anybody who knows the story of A Christmas Carol knows that Scrooge went from being poor as a boy. He made his fortune as a young man, and then he turned into a very miserly old man, um, which required the visit from the ghost. That could have happened to Mr. Brady, but it didn't. Right. He never yeah. let it go. And he did remember those kids. And I just think what I, the fun part for me, too, is the fact that it was not just him, but all these other businessmen who had become successful after having been newsboys as young kids. Yes. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll go out and sell newspapers on the street and we'll do that again just to raise money. That is, yeah, next to the fact that he did this, but that, like you said, these these gentlemen who were now 
off the street and very successful were back on the street selling newspapers. They didn't think themselves too good to be doing that and to raise money for the kids. And I just, I just love that story. This was a very good story that you And the fact that the tradition still continues to this very day. So if you live in Detroit and you see these people out doing their cell day or you receive one of the letters from them, make sure you donate. Help keep yeah. this tradition going because it's obviously become a very fixed part. Of it. I had never heard the story before. I came across it in our little Advent booklet that we've been reading almost every night. We're not always good about it, but we try. But it was a very brief blip that was mentioned in there about the Goodfellows organization. So then I remember thinking about it and going, I should put that aside. And we this would be great for the podcast. And then it dawned on me this weekend that, oh yeah, we were we had planned a completely different episode for this week. And then I remembered that. And so unbeknownst to Diane, I just announced it to her that no, I no, changed no, the plan. Was- this one was much more fitting and I'm glad you chose this one because it's it basically is a great reminder of what Christmas is about yes I mean yes we know Christmas is about more than that but it's the spirit of Christmas the spirit of Christmas and the the spirit spirit of of Santa Claus as they say which I loved I loved that so much about this whole story I do too it's a nice it's just a nice cozy story Yes. It's a good story you picked. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Hopefully that brings a smile to your face like it did for Diane and I. Merry Christmas. And please don't forget to visit us on social media where we share all kinds of cemetery photos, quotes, tidbits, and more. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery and on X at Ord Extra Sim. If you enjoyed this or any of our episodes, please consider leaving a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or our website. Your positive reviews and enthusiasm for our show help others who love cemeteries and history to discover us and our ordinary, extraordinary stories. Until we meet again.